0: This is SCOTA Radio, episode 457, for March 14th, 2022. Hello there, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business, the software development, and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining me with his launch keyboard ready to go, it's my host, Mr. Dominic.
1: Do you hear that? You hear that, don't you? Oh yeah,
0: I did. I heard it when I was setting up to record. <laughs> I hit the record button.
1: I forgot to run a limbic upgrade head.
0: I kind of feel like our keyboards have become the third host. You know?
1: Yes. <laughs> Are we using the same keyboard? Oh yeah, of course. Well, which key? I I actually forgot which keycaps I have. Which uh, switches? Did- I
0: have. I got the I got the louder ones. I think. Or, no, I got the quieter ones, but they're just so damn loud. You know? I think. I can't remember anymore because of the old man. I think I got the
1: quiet one, too, but they're still, like, damn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we're recording on Pi Day. Happy Pi Day to you.
1: Happy Pi Day to you uh, for all the mathematicians.
0: I got myself a LaCroix to party, getting wild in the studio.
1: We're both hipsters. I have a Spindrift, which is, like, fancy LaCroix. It's LaCroix if they use real
0: juice. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. I have seen those. It's funny because the name sounds like Spin Thrift, which makes me think of cheap.
1: They are not cheap, but they were buy one, get one free.
0: I want to let everybody know the national emergency is over. We can stand down. Uh, we did get access to my son's Roblox account. Everybody would stand down. We're good. We're good. I mean, it did take a week of emails back and forth by both me and his mother, but we got it back. And it's so obvious after this experiment that these quote unquote metaverse companies are so unprepared for the scale of scams that come to your game when you have an ecosystem. That people assign real-world value to, oh boy, it's bad. Like the guy's still on the game that scammed him, the the guy that scammed my kid's account, still on the game, still scamming other people. You can report him, nothing changes. It's a mess out there. It's uh, the hard hard streets of the metaverse. But I don't care, cause you know what? Happy anniversary, darling. Tomorrow, tomorrow is our domain name anniversary. Oh. Aww. Yep. Our domain auto-renews. It's March 15th, 2018, is when we actually registered Coder.show. Aw. 2018. Yep. Now, our first episode of Coder was released in June the 11th of 2012, which works out to be nine years, nine months, and three days ago. For some reason, we
1: didn't do anything with the domain, right? We
0: It was all at jupiterbroadcasting.com forever.
1: It was all at JB, that's right.
0: Yeah, which is where a lot of people still get it, but... Then, as the podcast landscape changed over the years.
1: Well, the, the, he needed its brand, you see, the brand.
0: We got to adapt. You got to pivot. <laughs> so, I,
1: I actually do have a proposal. Okay. Coder Radio Studio. Because Pro is too cheap, you know.
0: Uh, what about Coder Radio Ultra?
1: Ooh, it's like we take two shows and fuse them together. Like Voltron. Yes.
0: We've actually had the secret podcast connector all along where you could fuse. Yeah,
1: yeah, you didn't know. They didn't know. It's been, what, 10 years? You didn't know a damn
0: thing. You can see it on Twitter. I swear to God, Mike and I were having a Twitter conversation during the Apple event, and I said to Mike, I'm like, well, at least they didn't announce that Mac Studio so far, because that would be really hard to resist, because I'm literally at the place where I need to replace all of the computers in the studio. They're all falling apart. And five minutes later, bam! (laughs) Was it even five minutes? It might have been three minutes. Yeah boom, Mac Studio (laughs) with the big old processor and multi-screen support. And we've actually gone to the trouble of putting a legitimate cooling system in this thing. (laughs) Damn it. I know for a fact, I know for an absolute fact that that Mac Studio could do the job of all three systems because I can do that on the M1 Mac Mini right now. I I have done an experiment where I replicated the functionality of three different studio systems in one box, and I still had a little bit to spare, but it was it was just enough it was just enough of a tight squeeze that I thought eh, it's not quite there yet. But with this machine, I could honestly take the three PCs that I have that are breaking down and put one Mac Studio on the table that would be silent and do the work of all of them. And that is tremendous. I'm not doing it. I'm not buying one but if I were a shop that was a Mac based production house, I'd probably be ordering at least a couple of these right now.
1: I continue this journey of falling out of love with my iMac Pro.
0: Well, it's dead now, man. It's oh, it's dead, Jim. Yeah, that's it's it's yeah. You got to get yourself a 1500 hundred dollar monitor and a four thousand dollar Mac Studio now. How did they make it cost more money,
1: son of a bitch? no, very good. It's uh. Oh, baby, if these, uh, I mean, I, I'm i going to try not to turn this into Apple Radio, but this is exactly the machine I've been wanting for. Literally, I used to lust after when I was uh, too young and did, just didn't have the money. The last one, the one that John Syracuse just replaced, what
0: is that, the G5? Yeah, the, the, the Power Mac or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. You know, what I feel like is this is the machine that I thought they should make since they announced, announced the Mac Mini forever ago. The original mac mini it was like wouldn't it be great to just take the mac mini one step further make it a little more powerful and they've done that now uh, it is a great machine i i still would love to see a, a mac with pci slots myself and removable storage and upgradable ram that would be i don't know if we're ever going to get that in this new apple silicon era but that to me would be the perfect studio machine
1: Yeah, you are you're going to need the mac pro it's going to cost like 8 grand but you're going to get it
0: <laughs> probably
1: That's right right i, mean, it's, I don't know it's, this is i mean we're being a little funny about the pricing it's honestly like it's, it, if you are a shop or just uh, you know looking at someone who actually makes money on this $4000 like this plus a macbook air if you're a mac guy You have covered all your bases,
0: and you got a five six year machine probably too. Yeah, because they're going to be these machines are going to be on the long tail of the support cycle. Yeah, it is nice. I actually like having multiple machines because it offers some redundancy. You know, my if the OBS machine were to lock up and crash right now, it wouldn't impact our recording, or vice versa. So it's nice to have some. I think machine isolation of tasks there, and that's where the Mac situation starts getting prohibitively expensive, but. I think Apple has completely reversed the situation that I originally complained about in this show so many years ago. They have completely turned it around from the butterfly keyboard days. It's a great time for Mac users right now. I think the rest of the people outside the Mac ecosystem are watching this thinking, oh, I know this is going to have ramifications for the rest of us, but I just don't know how that's going to materialize yet.
1: And if they're uh, at Intel, they are. Still recovering from the hangover from the night of solo drinking. <laughs> I
0: don't know if you've noticed, Intel's pivoted to making Bitcoin miners. <laughs> They're like, we're out.
1: Intel's like, all right, we we can't. This is this is. You. So, can I f- uh, fry some applewood smoked
0: bacon? Oh, I love it when you. Oh man, you know what? I was just telling Wes. I said, Wes, he's not bringing bacon these days, and I'm hungry. Yeah, bring it. Bring the bacon. Is this just like the
1: lag time between Johnny Ive leaving? Think about it. They're not like coming out with weird products that nobody expects. I mean, sure, the M1 Ultra Magic Fusion thing. It's like they took a room of their actual like pro literally studio customers, which I'll get into a little bit. Because I'm pretty sure studio is like the new, no, you're an actual professional, right? Not just like the more expensive model. Right, because pro has pretty much lost all meaning. It's been diluted, right? And they said, what do you need to do your job? And they just decided to build it, which I know I sound like an idiot. But I don't know. This is great. They fixed the keyboards. They're bringing out hardware that makes sense. The price is high, but it's not like so
0: crazy. I'll tell you what happened. It's clear as day. Tim Cook listens to Coda Radio. It's obvious. He heard our rants years ago that the problem with Apple is that its machines were being built and designed by people who don't know how to use computers. And that the Apple executive team was getting old and out of touch. And they were directing products that they didn't actually understand how the market was going to use them. And then they created their pro group internally, which is producing a lot of their virtual event videos and commercials and doing all that kind of stuff and, and also interfacing with industry professionals. And now they've taken what that pro group recommends as sort of a source of truth. You know, like a lot of companies would hire a new department and have them work on this and then not listen to a damn thing they say. Mm. But to Apple's credit, the old out-of-touch management said, we are, we're old and out-of-touch. And they defer to this new group now, I believe. And they're building exactly the machines that people that are using these to get work done want to see. It's no doubt about it. And holy shit, how impressive is it that they're now sticking that M1 and everything from the frickin' iPad frickin' Air all the way up to the Mac Studio? It's like, whoa, man. Let's see an x86 chip do that.
1: Or the fact that your monitor has like an iPhone uh, 12 processor or 11 processor in it.
0: It's crazy. That, that part's crazy. I just can't even with that. They probably just have them. You know, the monitor has a lot of nice things going for it. The multiple mic array, the like 13 megapixel camera or whatever it is, you know, a nicer camera with center stage, the six speaker array, which I bet knowing Apple's track record with speakers is actually legitimately pretty good. But the fact that it ships with a non-height adjustable screen and it by default is very low down. What is their deal with like screwing you on stands all the time? I, I know. And it's not HDR. When Apple sells all of these devices that have HDR screens, this one is not HDR, which is ridiculous. And it's also it's not a high refresh rate either. I heard a lot of people talking about the high refresh rate thing. And
1: as per our other Twitter conversation earlier today, you don't need it on a Mac. I don't think because Apple has a religious aversion to AAA games. So
0: it makes the UI smoother, scrolling smoother, animation smoother. It makes the system feel just slightly snappier. That's what I've appreciated about it. And it's not even really that, though. It's that if you're going to charge me more than $1,000 for a 27-inch monitor, then it should at least have a feature set of 2020 or 2021, right? And it doesn't. It has a feature set of 2019's monitors right now. So they probably started building this thing in 2019.
1: Yeah, which, you know what, though? Isn't that all of Apple's stuff, And except (laughs) except for the processors, where it's like, it's a very conservative. They took a long time. And they really really don't like Intel for some reason.
0: Like I don't I would imagine too that when you see the iMac get upgraded to a higher refresh rate like they have the laptops now, then you'll see this the next iteration of this monitor get the update as well.
1: I'd also wager that they probably will still sell a lot more MacBook Pros, even the expensive ones, than they will Mac Studios.
0: Oh, for sure, absolutely. There'll probably be more people that have that monitor, that new monitor connected to MacBooks, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense because it can be a hub. It's got It's got USB-C and Thunderbolt ports. It can provide 96 watts of power. It's got speakers. It's got a webcam. It kind of works as a bit of a low-key Thunderbolt hub.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. Well, let's talk a little about Linux because Ethan wrote in to kill, just absolutely eviscerate my Proton runtime dream to make a general compatibility layer to just lift and drop Windows applications on Linux for two reasons, primarily to help stop the slow bleed to Electron and to help create a competitive moat against Mac apps, just because I feel like Linux has to do something, even though I don't know if it's really going to do anything. But Ethan points out that when you start using Wine applications, the accessibility story drops off a cliff. It can be a hot mess with Windows apps under Wine for various reasons, in part also because sometimes the situation just sucks on Windows proper. And then you bring it under Wine where you've got the desktop environment You've got Wine, you've got maybe the application developers try to implement some accessibility, and they're all fighting each other. It's just a hot mess. And so accessibility goes to die with Wine apps on Linux. I just can't get behind a platform that, you know, cuts out a whole section of users like that. So I'm back on the native apps bandwagon, baby.
1: <laughs> Woo, native apps!
0: Yeah, good. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, accessibility is tough, right? That's a tough one because... That is already so bad. You don't want to make a decision that's going to make that worse. Like, we just can't afford to go backwards on that one. So uh, that is what it is. But I wanted to get philosophical with you right here, because Remember to Remember hit me up on Twitter. He says, at Chris Lass, you sounded afraid to use the term lifestyle business last episode. Why let this be a bad word? I maintain that these are just businesses. It's hyperscalers struggling to pay back huge returns on VCs that are the problem. They're the ones that are doing something weird. Does scale really deliver value to customers? What a great question. And so I am curious to know what you think. Two questions. Is lifestyle business a dirty word? Like, would you be embarrassed to use that around business colleagues? And number two, if you're at a massive scale, like a Microsoft or or an Apple, does that have some sort of inherent value for customers that a small business doesn't?
1: Okay, what do we think a lifestyle business is? Why don't we start there? Because... I can tell you what it really is in practical terms.
0: My thought when I said lifestyle business would be something that you set up and build, a business that you set up and build that makes enough revenue that you can live comfortably and take care of your family, but you're not going to become a billionaire. You're not going to do large acquisitions and mergers. You're, you're probably never going to hire 100 people, right? You're just going to kind of stay focused, run your business, keep your friends and family paid, and serve your customers. I guess I would go with that part
1: of the implication of lifestyle business is that you're actually making money right so to me there's nothing wrong with the term I might be concerned with more openly using it in sales conversations
0: if yeah if doesn't it feel like shorthand for lazy in some circles Uh, I feel like it feels shorthand
1: for maybe you're not super serious But again, I I don't feel that way, but I have this, I do have a visceral reaction that potential customers
0: would. Right. Yeah. Like you're like, you're not really going to be up all night working late to solve my problems kind of vibe.
1: It's weird. I also have a bunch of weird hangups that I don't think make sense, but I still have them from, uh, you know, I've just been doing this a long time, right?
0: Like this kind of thing
1: you think, or what do you mean? I hate the word apps, when I'm talking to potential customers. I won't use it. Or I, I duck, duck, duck. Uh, I tend to say just software or, app, you know, I'll say application, weirdly enough, or the system or programs, because I feel that when people think apps, they think they can just, like, go to Upwork and get it. You know what I mean? Buy a template and have somebody do it real quick. Even the word implies small, right? You're shortening the word application. Except for a few of my most, like, technically savvy customers, I tend to even avoid other than, oh, by the way, we're going to use this open source thing really talking about like what we're doing in terms of uh like you know i'm trying less and less to sell like development service it's more like this is the solution we're gonna gonna use software development as a way to solve your problem but don't worry about it you know don't you're you're not kind of a differentiation thing where you're not just going on upwork and looking for a python dev right you're we're giving you a complete system build it maintain it and uh yeah it's been working out better this you know what this might be this might be a little bit of like hangover from the app app store gold rush in the subsequent fall because i definitely did for a while take a hit on a lot of like the upwork the offshoring where people are just like buy my app template and for a thousand dollars we'll skin it for your you know your little whatever your need whatever your need is right your restaurant your bar here whatever is that making any sense or am i way too deep into the
0: no i feel the same way I think in part it is like the legacy of watching the software business startup. I used to really resist calling our podcast podcast. I wouldn't use the word podcast on air. I wouldn't use it anywhere. Where I
1: used to do that there. too. I used to call it radio, internet radio.
0: Yeah. It's a show. It's the Coda radio show, not the Coda radio podcast, right? At least that's how we used to talk about it, but it's because it felt like it didn't do justice to the amount of work and effort it goes into to actually produce the content. Just like apps feel like they kind of undercut how much damn work it takes to build an application these days
1: even you know even now like well the irony building an actual app like a good I and i emphasis on good iphone app right is much more work than it was in let's say 20 you know 2010
0: for sure yeah i think you when i see eye to eye on the lifestyle business thing it's just like it's always felt like i'm admitting that i don't have these huge ambitions to take over the podcast universe i just want to do my <laughs> and so i felt I felt embarrassed about that, especially when I'm you know at any kind of business function. It just feels embarrassing to admit it. but it's a good question.
1: it is a good question and if hey, if that floats your boat, if you like it, I think that's uh that's fine. I also wonder too, and see now I'm thinking I'm getting a vision of a lifestyle business is like a dude with an m1 MacBook Pro who do, who like honestly. He's like in an RV, going around, <laughs> writing iOS apps. It's like you, but hipster, like Apple hipster.
0: And he's got a flannel shirt and a beard, right?
1: <laughs> right, right. He he only drinks craft beer. You put a Bud Light in front of him, he just throws it at you. So I mean,
0: far, all this sounded actually pretty good. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe I'm down. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there is that element of a hashtag van life and lifestyle, but there's that's probably what it is. Is that when I think of a lifestyle business, I think of my grandpa who ran advertising for the oh wow he ran it for the local rv scene which is funny i never really put that made that connection but
1: he ran it's in your blood it's in your blood wow he
0: he did ads for the rv uh, industry in washington state the whole bunch of them and that was his fault that was the industry he focused on that was his niche and uh it was his lifestyle business and he i think he was a one man i think he was just out back then it probably probably wasn't so hard but he was just a one man show
1: I can't even imagine soloing a a big iOS app today. I'm sorry. I'm like,
0: yeah. And then like, or imagine a, Yeah. it just, yeah. You got to have accounting. You got to have legal. You got to have all this stuff. It's (laughs) designers, developers. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, thank you to remember to remember for sending that in. He hit me up on Twitter at Chris LES. You can always hit us up there too. The podcast is at Coda radio show on the Twitter. And we also have a new way you can get feedback into the show. You may have noticed some are already doing it. You can send us a boost newpodcastapps.com that's with an s newpodcastapps.com and uh, you can go there and find one that supports boost and then you can send us in a little message and support the show i won't go into my whole rant i've talked before about how podcasting is changing i've even said three to five years is my time estimation i actually think it's probably one to two years Uh, and i think these boost messages are going to play a role in wherever this is going And I think it also has the same dynamics to support software development. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go try it and you'll see what I mean. It's at newpodcastapps.com. And then you can filter for ones that support boosts. And I'll have a link in the show notes for that. Also, just a reminder, we have our East Coast meetup coming up. Jupiter Broadcasting is going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina on April 9th, 2022 at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll be right next to Prime Barbecue, and then on the other side, there's a brewery. We now have 50 people on the Meetup page, Mike, and uh, I think it's going to be probably even more than that. It's going to be a do-not-miss East Coast event. I I will actually be there. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. Wes is planning to go. Brent's planning to go. Alex is planning to go from self-hosted. I'm going to be there. We're talking more and more people into it all the time. Details at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We don't get out there too often. So we would love to see you. Linode.com slash Coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. You got to go try out Linode. You know, I've been talking about Linode for a little while, and that's no accident. It's because Coder Radio listeners keep signing up and becoming customers. And that's because it's a great value to performance and really design API documentation support, like, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, it's really about the performance and the value because I got a small business to run. And it's been resonating with Coda Radio listeners. If you need a site for five or if you need a site for five million, Linode has the infrastructure that can handle this. They've been radically speeding up their infrastructure every opportunity they get. NVMe, PCIe storage, yeah, they got that. 40 gigabit connections coming to the hypervisor, yeah, they got that. They are their own ISP with 11 data centers around the world. And man, I am so grateful that their interface is so much better than the hyperscalers that want to lock you into their craptastic platforms. <laughs> and then, of course, Linode has support they can't even touch. They can't even touch it. I think that's another reason why Coder Radio listeners have been sticking with Linode. They've been really happy with when they get in a jam, they got that customer support. Linode's got that customer support. And with 11 data centers around the world you can choose from, you're going to find something near you or near your customers. Since Linode's been doing this for 19 years, they've worked the kinks out. (laughs) They've got this figured out. So things like their object storage, cloud firewalls, all that kind of stuff. It just hums and works exactly like you'd expect. They have sensible alerting for when you have a problem with your system. Maybe you got excessive bandwidth going on. Maybe your CPU is going crazy. Those can always be signs that something's amuck. And they've built some really sensible dashboard alerts and stuff like that that you can get going, too. And they make it crazy easy to do backups, deploy applications with a single click. I could literally go on and on for the entire episode. So you better just go try it for yourself. Get that $100, kick the tires, and support the show at linode.com slash coder. <laughs> So Google, Microsoft, Apple, and of course, a lot of others in the industry have all told their employees it is time to return to the office in either April or May, depending on which company you're looking at. Google told their workers that most of them should at least plan to return for three days a week, if not more. And they promised to study hybrid work further and uh, collect data along the way. Microsoft has told all of their Washington state employees Time to come back to the office, effective February 28th. Employees have 30 days to adjust their routines and adopt the new working preferences that they've agreed upon with their manager. They also have committed to, even though we're asking for the bulk of you to come back, we're going to study hybrid work. And, of course, Tim Cook over at Apple told employees they will begin to return to the office in Cupertino on April 11th with the completion by May 23rd. And uh, he said, quote, while many of you have been coming in regularly for quite some time now, we are now looking forward to welcoming those of you who have shifted to working remotely back to our corporate offices. And then later he says, quote, we'll begin the phased approach to a hybrid pilot.
1: (laughs) They literally built a spaceship and called it their office. Yeah. And now this is very culty. Great computers, though.
0: You know, each one of these companies is like, no, no, no. Let's try to bring as much of you back. But we promise we're going to study this hybrid work thing. And, and there's different degrees here. Like it looks like Microsoft and Google are going to allow for, you know, some work from home, some not, depending on their job. But it cracked the door, this whole two, two and a half years of a horrible pandemic, cracked the door to remote work over the Internet more than I expected. And I don't even like the term work from home. I think it's just work, work over the Internet. But if the absolute gorillas in this industry the industry titans, the ones who set the tone, the ones who lead everyone else, if they're not really making this adjustment and making this investment, which they are the best positioned to make these investments, then did corporate america learn anything from this? Is it at least a little better and is that enough in your opinion? Maybe it's a good thing. All three of these companies are being very wishy-washy,
1: right? I mean, nah, they're clearing what they want, but they're they're It's been two years. One assumes they were doing like performance metrics the whole time.
0: Exactly. Thank you. Right. We're going to now study it. What has the last two years been?
1: I I feel like what happened is, I I don't know, I I have conflicting feelings, right? Evil Mike, you know, Mike after some Hendrix would say something like it's because they spent a crap ton of money on offices. And yeah, especially for like a Google, right, where it's, you know, the still one of the best launches I've ever had was at Google in New York. Just incredible. And I don't know how everybody there is not 400 pounds. It's it, it just like, you know, it, they, they've made big investments. On the other hand, I have a sinking feeling that they're, you know, obviously very smart people and they all love them some analytics. There's probably a reason.
0: What if it is just as stupid as corporate America has invested billions of dollars into these buildings and facilities, and if all of a sudden their staff stop using them, and this happens at a scale across the entire industry, does the value of these business, of these buildings begin to drop? Does the value of their investments begin to drop? Is that a thing? If all of a sudden office real estate is no longer in demand, if there is an excessive supply of inventory of office real estate?
1: You know, it's funny. Throughout this, I have looked at uh... – commercial real estate, to just do some server hosting and some kind of a assembly stuff that's not really conducive to doing my house. And those prices have not gone down.
0: I also feel like corporate real estate prices haven't quite ballooned like retail prices, because we were looking at possibly selling at one point and relocating and, you know, just going by what we know the prices are of houses in the area that we were looking at buildings. The corporate building stuff, the corporate real estate stuff was still cheaper. It's all very expensive now, but it was still cheaper than like similar size building that would be retail. When you say
1: retail, you mean a house you mean like a. Oops. Yeah.
0: Consumers like a house or yeah, apartment building.
1: I, I wonder that makes sense to me because I feel like people who are working from home all of a sudden it's like, damn, I wish I had another room.
0: It's their office and their. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's really it, but you have to, there's also the, you know, butts and seats is how I manage my people mentality and all of that. And I think a lot of these businesses went into like, especially Apple, right? They went into remote work kind of kicking and screaming. They had their hands forced. So it kind of makes sense. You could kind of see it
1: like for certain things like Apple design. Like, I don't know. There's some stuff I'm, I've been doing remote work for a long time and I'm kind of. One, I'm happy to see big companies go back to the office so that, once again, working from home can be a competitive hiring advantage for me. Totally. I mean, if I had my brothers, I probably would have been more resistant to
0: it. I mean, no doubt about it. There are certain kinds of work, even for what we do, that are just done better in person. Uh, There's some content we're planning right now for Linux Unplugged that we're we're not planning to do until Brent and Wes are both here in studio for it. It's just no way around it. And so there's some stuff, some projects we wait on. So I get it. I do get it. I think, you know, where I worked before was Linux Academy. They had a really good approach where it was remote work with an office that anyone was always uh, allowed to come visit. And there was always workspace available for people that wanted to come uh, and work out of the office. And then at least twice a year, they probably would have gone to more, but at least twice a year they did company events where they paid to fly everybody in and put them up at a hotel. And that sounds horribly expensive until you think about the fact that they didn't have to have two or three offices staffed all the time and all of the costs that associated with maintaining those buildings and workspaces. So they would essentially still end up on top and still have money left to hold these get-togethers. And that was such a nice way to kind of tie that together with a team sprint. So if you knew you had these times together two or three times a year, you could also do some sprints in that time, and so a team would come in a week earlier and get together and kick ass on something before the big company meetup. You know, it worked pretty well. Can I,
1: can I throw a, a Zuckerball at you? Yeah,
0: I love Zuckerballs.
1: I had a, a, a little fantasy of building a TMB office, like, truly tripped the f*** out. Yeah. Like, straight up, I would just mainline some Lewis Carroll and go for it. <laughs>
0: Do a little a little crib MTV crib video if I if you ever set that place up I'd love to see it. That's right in the metaverse.
1: <laughs> Seriously, like a private metaverse office.
0: Well, that's where this is going, man. I'd have a JB studio. I've said it before. If I had a studio, you guys could come hang out at. You know, you co- say so you just pop on your, uh, you know, your metaverse wear and you show up, and you know, there's Wes and I hanging out in the studio. But that would be awesome, right? I'm thinking about our North Carolina thing.
1: A lot of people aren't going to want to travel, right? It's just the reality of life right now. And in general, even without the COVID, right? It's it's far. It costs money. What if we did, like, I hate the term, but metaverse events?
0: Meetups. Metaverse meetups, right?
1: Right. And we just hang out. And it sounds crazy, but I remember when we first started talking about remote work, when I remember I was a lot more kicking and screaming about it. And it just you just have to kind of adapt, and it it does work. I
0: mean, all hail Slack as it continues to monopolize my notifications. <laughs> right. Hey, did you see your buddy Michele Casa is leaving Microsoft, the former Zamarin? Uh, I did. Or is it Zamarian?
1: It, it's it's Zamarin. It's not Zamarian. I, I promise you. Are you sure? 110%. <laughs>
0: okay, all right.
1: I'm surprised it took this long. Yeah, they joined in 2016. He's a true startup foundry kind of guy. He he's not uh
0: Do you think it's a coincidence that Nat just left about a year ago? I mean, Nat joined with Miguel. Nat took over GitHub. And then we saw that whole transition happen. And then here we are just about a year later, not even quite. And Miguel stepping down. Says he's going to spend the time with his kids, you know, spend time with family kind of thing. Yeah,
1: well, he said through the summer. He was very specific.
0: Yeah, he says he does want to get back to work. And he's about 99% sure it's going to be a startup scene that he gets into
1: right i mean i feel like miguel is i mean you know he's a pretty straightforward dude i'm sure he is gonna like any right he's a like you and i would if we you know could we would just take a month and hang out with our kids but you know he's going to be taking vc meetings too right this is it. things take time
0: this is totally what this tweet thread's even about right this tweet thread's about i'm on the market again
1: <laughs> i would like to start you know let's call it miguel inc and Whatever. Right. Who would like to fund me? <laughs> I mean, which is fine. I mean, you you, you asked if it's a, if I think it's a coincidence. No, but it, there's, I don't think there's anything evil here. These are two guys who are founders, right? Nat Freedom very famously was like, let's put a Rails GUI on top of Git. I know it's not just a GUI, but, you know, and he was like hanging out with his buddies in a pizzeria and did it. These guys are founders. They're true.
0: Yeah, I, I think Miguel speaks positively of his experience at Microsoft uh, in the thread. And he makes it basically sound like if I wanted to stay with a big company, I would have just stayed at Microsoft. And so I, I think life was good enough that he wasn't under any immediate pressure to leave. And there's always the nicety of the public appearance that when Nat stepped down, that you know maybe Miguel gave it some time to air and didn't want to jump in right behind Nat and make people really start talking. And since life wasn't so bad, why not wait a year? right? I watch with interest what he does next, because Miguel has been a character that we have followed Throughout the history of the Gnome desktop, Xamarin, and Red Carpet, and Mono, and now Microsoft. And it's just been a fascinating journey to watch this guy go. And I hope he ends up in a startup that's in the open source space again. Because I feel like that's where his talents have been really, really beneficial for the whole industry. right? And if he goes to some company that's probably working on something cool, but it's all behind a closed wall, like I feel like the rest of the industry is not going to benefit from that guy as much. But we'll see.
1: So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my bet down. What do you think? Because I heard a very recent interview with him where he was talking a lot about ML. And it was funny. The guy in the room was like, is that what you're doing now? He <laughs> was like, wait, what? I thought you were the Xamarin dude, which turns out he <laughs> was doing like some some stuff at Microsoft.
0: Ah, uh, I see where you're going.
1: I think he's he's starting something. He's not going anywhere. Right. right.
0: I, of course.
1: And it's, I'm good. I actually, he makes great stuff. Just walk into like Kleiner Perkins, like I would like to start a business. Please give me a check. And they'll do it because they would be stupid.
0: Who's, yeah. Oh, man, that's, that's a nice spot to be in.
1: Enjoy your vacation, Miguel. Can't wait to see what's up in
0: the fall. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. Go there, get a free trial and a free T-shirt. So Datadog is a software-as-a-service monitoring and security platform. Mm! It takes care of so much stuff. It enables full-stack observability for developers, IT operations, security individuals, your businesses out there, they're just working in the cloud age. I mean, your stack, they can monitor it. Their platform has over 500 vendor-backed integrations. So that means not only can you get all like the native built-in stuff from the OS, but you can correlate all of your metrics from your applications, your logs, security signals, your infrastructure, your application stack, your third-party services, everything in one beautiful single pane of glass. This is the promised land, my friends. These capabilities, combined with the drag-and-drop dashboard customizability and the machine learning-based alerts, that means your teams can troubleshoot and collaborate more effectively. Right? You can prevent them downtimes, and you get enhanced performance, reliability, and I will say, communication. You see, and I don't just break into accent for nothing, right? It has to be a big deal. So go get our exclusive offer for Coda Radio listeners. Go sign up for a free two-week trial at datadog.com slash radio and get the free Datadog t-shirt. Support the show and get a free t-shirt and get to try out those dashboards. Mm, Datadog.com slash Coda that's where you do it. Go get that shirt, support the show, and happy monitoring. This headline has me rolling. So, all of the Android fanboys who wrote in and told me that it's all Apple's fault and that if only Apple supported RCS, the whole messaging situation would be solved, Google wouldn't need half a dozen different chat platforms, and Apple would no longer be the bully of the messaging community. Well, AT&T has rolled out RCS messaging for certain select Android fans, and it has been a complete dumpster fire. As you might not realize, but of course makes total sense with the RCS system, the carrier has complete control. And so AT&T thought it would be great to only enable RCS messaging on select devices like the new Galaxy devices. And that just created a huge problem when RCS systems' phones were attempting to text phones that were not on this approved whitelist, and AT&T boondoggled the entire transition. And so far, AT&T's response has been basically squat. They have completely crapped it up, and RCS messaging has been a clown show. And depending on how you bought your Galaxy S22, you may or may not even get RCS. And what's remarkable is the feature is actually being enabled or disabled in Google's own chat app, By the mother frickin' carrier. You understand what I'm saying? The carrier is reaching into the chat app and flipping settings depending on their preferences on your phone. RCS has turned out to be a total dumpster fire. One more example of why Google screwed this thing up from the very beginning when they started with Android and why iMessage is now the blue bubble of all fame. Because they created a system that took the carriers out, that focused on the experience for consumers, and then they slowly iterated on that one singular messaging platform for a decade. What Google has done at every single turn is cede control to these monopolistic carriers who manage to crap it up every single time. And here we are now with RCS in the United States. And it's made the situation even worse than text messages to iMessage situation that we had before. And this was supposedly the big savior that all the Android fanboys, all the Android techies, were going to throw at our face constantly. It is such a great example of how our community screws this kind of stuff up all the time. We get so focused on the technicals, on the specs, and we completely cannot connect with the actual market realities that drive adoption. And so we argue from like an almost like moralistic standpoint, like these are the moral arguments why this is the superior route this should be done. Meanwhile, the market like gives zero Fs about those arguments and does what it's going to do. And it seems like so many in our community are completely blind to this. And so they make investments and bets and choose technology stacks based on this view that they have, this skewed technical view of the market. And it's embarrassing. And when you look at our inbox and you look at our mentions and how many people told us how dumb we are because RCS was going to solve all of this. And here we are when it finally gets rolled out by a U.S. carrier that's at scale and they just screw the whole thing up.
1: Yeah. Right. Anytime the carriers are involved in anything on your phone, it's probably bad.
0: Oh, oh.
1: Yeah, I know. I feel I, I could t your anger level is
0: high. I, I, I is. It is because this, you know. I've been doing these doing podcasts for 15 years. And this is this general problem that I just outlined about. This is so rampant in the Linux community specifically, where they get so focused on the specs, the techs, right, the licenses, and they completely lose all sense of what drives the market. And so that's how you see like people throwing millions at stupid crazy Linux mobile phones that are never going to get more than 3,000 users. Right? That's why you see so many Linux users like jumping on board these projects that are never going to go anywhere because the market's already picked a horse. and It's like already done three laps around the race, and we're just getting saddled. Like We just do that kind of stuff all the time. And so we are constantly spending effort and resources in places that we're just going to spin our wheels instead of trying to figure out where the market's actually going and creating a product that fulfills that. And it just drives me crazy because it dogs the open source community to the point where they fail to execute over and over again. And you can see that pervasive thinking taking place here in the way people are analyzing this messaging situation.
1: Well, it's it's even, you know, if you think about the history of successful open source, it's always when the open source community is ahead of the commercial community, right?
0: And like they're going somewhere where the market wants them to go. Where like developers wanted, open source solved a lot of problems for a lot of developers, you could look at that as the community got way ahead of where commercial companies were going when it came to software licenses, right? They got that right.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we could keep taking this back, right? Web servers, uh, web, web servers rather, right? Yep, um, yep, yep. Um, mm-hmm. God, <laughs> I, I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's a hundred things, but anytime you take a successful commercial project or, or product even and say, we're going to do an open source version of this, you've already lost the game in a lot of ways.
0: I can feel that situation quickly brewing for VR. And AR, too. Well, that's
1: exactly what I was going to say. My hope is that the term, the thing I'm begrudgingly calling Metaverse, that we get some nice open standards, right? But I'm a little afraid that it's going to be whatever Apple puts out.
0: So while I'm railing on uh, silly things that happens in the open source community, this next story just seems so gutless, so meek, that I just had to call it out on the air. I just, ah, Firefox has been disappointing me a lot. Today or yesterday, a bug was submitted that removed the Yandex search option, as well as a couple of other like mail.ru related things. Essentially, you know, it was uh, Firefox's participation in the canceling by code of Russia that we mentioned recently. You know, that's fine if enough people in that community project want to make that change, whatever. But what feels really meek about it is they totally used a misleading bug name to hide it. And the description of the bug is also just, it feels so corporate. So the, the the bug that's now closed. Update
1: distribution config, wow. Yeah,
0: update distribution config is the name of the bug. And the description of the bug is also ridiculous. It's ensure consistency among search configuration for Firefox. But it, that is a smokescreen for Removing Russian web services, anything related to Russia from Firefox. And they use this essentially bull smokescreen of update distribution config to hide the fact that they're doing cancelization by code. I actually think this is the time we should ask ourselves how far do we take this kind of thing? How far do we alter our technological infrastructures, including the internet, how the internet routes? And the applications that run on layer seven, how do we actually, how far do we go in altering this? Because these scale events happen from time to time. Happened in 2014. Happened in 2004 with Georgia. Crimea in 2014, right? This is actually the third time there's been some kind of situation happening in this general area of the world. So uh, we got to think about how we're going to do this and how far we extend this kind of group think. Where are these ideas coming from? What is the technological justification for doing these? Is it just a social argument? Who's making those social arguments? How much influence should those people have? Those are all questions that are being completely bypassed right now. All right. The, the kind of
1: problem I see with all this stuff is it's one, it's really weird to me how corpor- I know Fi- Firefox, like whatever foundation corporations are acting like states. That's just blows my mind. But also, what about Russian community members, like just innocent folks who are like part of the I'm not talking Firefox specifically, but like general tech community
0: or just people that are dissidents that are fighting against the government.
1: Right. Is, Is there some risk in cutting off Russian stuff that you will, in fact, aid the Russian state if you're if I'm assuming they're doing this to undermine in some weird, completely ineffective way, the state government of Russia. Right. I mean, isn't Yandex just like their Google? Or am I out of my mind?
0: Yeah, and I actually, I always think in these situations, and I know this is uh, opposite thinking these days, but I often think in these kinds of situations we should err on the side of more information in all cases. Get it all out on the table. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting to. Don't shouldn't we
1: be like, hey, Russian folk, you know if I don't know, should we? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to give more right more information, more access?
0: Yeah, as a wise man once said, the truth is the first casualty of war. And then we have just kind of doubled down on that. Also, this change, the way they've done this, also affects Firefox ESR because apparently sysadmins love self-destructing software. It's just one of those things where like you have a product And maybe for some reason you're using this aspect of it. And then overnight, the vendor turns it off. It's gone now. And it's not what you expect from free software, which is supposed to be sovereign software. I know this is a touchy issue, but we weren't willing to have the conversation when it was about social justice and we were making changes to code for social justice purposes. Are we willing to have the conversation now that it's over suppressing a specific state? But you're not really suppressing the state. Well, you're trying to right? I mean, what what else? Are we shaming them? Are we canceling them from society by these changes? I mean, what are we doing here? You know, there's so much here, right? There's because there's like the practical
1: angle of don't you want more like access for Russian folk if you feel passionately about this,
0: which like, you know, people pulling podcast apps. It's to me, that's even crazier. But it's like, how else are they going to get unbiased information? Like they're just all they have left is the government propaganda is the state media. Yeah. Also, like,
1: I know we don't like RMS anymore. I get it fine. But one of the tenets of free software by design is that people can't do like this. This is why everything going to the cloud and being services. It's real weird how just in what, 30 years, how you really don't quote unquote own or control your software, even when it's free software.
0: I think that is the part that got me. I think you just nailed it. I couldn't really put words to it.
1: I mean, you could see a more sinister case where like. Edge. I could see
0: Microsoft Edge doing this or maybe even Google Chrome.
1: Let, let's just not make it about, you know, the specific conflict. Let's say the Russian state, for example, does this themselves. Right. They just take out the cloud services inside the board, which they do all the time. Right? China does it all the time, too. Just go watch Revolution OS. I don't even know what to say. Right. <laughs> like, yeah,
0: it feels like what we're doing is. So I was I was just extract. I'm game theorying this a little bit. Let's say uh, China invades Taiwan. And uh, does corporate America do this same voluntary voluntary sanctions, uh, self-sanctioning? Will that happen? Is are there economic ties to China too great? So now we're going to see a double standard. Either way, it's not a good scenario. And what we are doing is we are creating something that is inherently opposite of the technology. TCP IP is designed to route around problems. The internet is designed to be self-healing. And we are creating divisions at the human layer. It's not what the technology is built to do. So we are creating artificial boundaries around our different internets now. And pretty soon we're going to have a Western internet. Well, it's already happening, right? And And we should not be encouraging this. This is why the federal government invested in services like Tor to begin with. We should not be encouraging a balkanized internet. We do not want a split up internet like this. And it's not good for humanity long term. When you just get down to nation states, different political parties, when you just get down to what is best long term for humanity, this ain't it, chief.
1: And I think we're going to get a lot of comments, but I keep making a joke that the dream of the 90s is dead. It's really dead. Like. And for our listeners of a certain age who are maybe too young to understand what the hell we're talking about, this was not supposed to go this way. This whole centralization was the exact thing that we, in quotes, the open source community, not even, you know, not even just the open source people, right? Like the, the, the Mac guys were like all in it too, right? So are some of the, really all the nerds with the one exception of Bill Gates' ragey letters. I don't know. We didn't win. The next centralization is going to be the
0: metaverse. You know what you're getting, though, right? You're going to get so Russia has its own Internet. Well, what else is Russia going to do? They're going to have their own Firefox. So now you're going to have the Russian fork of Firefox that keeps these Russian services. And now you're going to have multiple. And and what do you suppose the chances are that you extrapolate that over the next 20 to 30 years? That thing becomes behind. It falls behind the primary project. And now you're exposing all those users to all kinds of vulnerabilities that aren't getting patched because it can't stay up with upstream. Like that's that's exactly where this goes because you can fork these things. We are essentially introducing opportunity for all these divisions, from financial divisions on how they purchase and trade in goods to their internet and their software that they use and the services they use. We are essentially inviting a, a splitting up of services, a forking off, a creation of their own thing, and we are diluting resources. We are diluting access to information. And it's, oh God, it just seems so short-sighted.
1: I don't know do you want to start a bbs and cry with me? I mean where do we, we've got nowhere to go, right? It's it's podcasts is all that remain, man. Uh no. <laughs> not for much not. longer. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Have you
0: have you have you met my friend Joe Rogan? Oh, it's a tricky time, right? I mean it is a really uh, I I mean I I also, you know, I also feel like there should be a cost for invading another country and so we have to walk that line. So I I do get it. I don't
1: think either of us like I'm sure we're very like sympathetic and, you know, God bless Ukrainians and all that. I just worry right the problem is it's like guns
0: gun can be used by a good guy gun can be used by a bad guy linux could be used to launch a russian missile it can be used to launch a western missile missile
1: it can be used to uh run alice it could be used to run one of her horrible do not buy them competitors see capitalism
0: yeah and i i get the argument too uh, like you know Wes is in the chat room too it's like you could see the argument that well they created they originally created the divisions I think I take a longer like sort of meta anti-war, anti-conflict uh, standpoint in this, right?
1: All right. Are we really going to go full utopian RMS land? Let, let's just do it. One of the ideas was that the technical community would be so interconnected that it would make stupid these little these little, you know, nation state fights hard. Now, that's not the case. It's not going to be the case, right? What happens? And I'll fry some bacon. Get me some. uh uh, I don't really know any Russian sausage names.
0: I got something that just looks like it's written in Russian. I don't know what it. I don't know what flavor it oh, is though.
1: Okay. How many days are we away from a uh, open source project throwing off like Russian board members who've been contributing?
0: Oh, this is rat bacon. Oh god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I hope not. I mean, I feel like it's going to happen. It's going to be the new kind of the new Scarlet Letter. So, I don't know. As we're both canceled.
0: It's tricky, right? Because it feels like engineers and developers, they're always kind of caught in the middle here, right? Because they're so often into, into it for the technology and that kind of stuff. And then world events happen and technology cannot avoid it. It's like, despite what we might prefer, there's a lot of big questions here. And, you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you and I are wrong on this. There is a really sensible reason to kind of balkanize our societies even more, create division, and create people that are dependent on government propaganda. Perhaps I am too short-sighted, and uh, I don't see the long-term benefits of that. But my view on it is that long-term it's a bad thing, and that we're kind of perpetuating it via something that could have remained neutral. So we're taking things that have the ability to remain neutral, that would really have no large impact, right? Keeping these changes out of Firefox, right? These four or five changes they made really will have zero impact on this conflict. It only has the impact of hurting people. I mean, come on, even
1: if that's, but this particular one, I don't know.
0: It's minor and there'll probably be forks and workarounds and extensions and other browsers. So it's, it really, you really, when you think about the impact it has, it's negative, if anything, and hardly anything. And yet, We're still taking something that could have just stayed out of it. And, and of course the way they did it with this, you know, you know, something's a little off when they're doing it with this stupid name, like update distribution config as the title of the bug, right? With the description of ensure consistency among search configuration for Firefox. They're intentionally trying to just keep it a little low key. They didn't want this to bubble up, but people saw it.
1: We're headed towards Star Wars, not Star Trek. That's the future. that's really bad.
0: You're right. What's funny is right now, the people that are in charge would be the people that would be kind of, you'd think the people responsible for a Star Trek, like one world government that works out to a utopia where everybody gets along, right? You'd think that's a progressive future. But ironically, I look at the people in charge that would probably label themselves as, you know, closer to progressives than the previous administration. And they're running full head into this. You know, they haven't even attempted. I'm now, this is the last thing I'll have to say, and then we're done. They haven't even attempted to stop this thing. They haven't even attempted to do negotiations, and they are making sure to supply arms. But they have not been at a single one of the negotiations between Ukraine and Russia. The U.S. has not. They're welcome. They've been invited. Why aren't they there? Because they're not trying to stop the war. So, yeah, you're right. We are going into Star Wars <laughs> for sure, man. And, like, it's going to have long-term ramifications on our industry in a lot of ways. And I, I mean, we don't need to make this a political show. We're, I don't think this will be a recurring thing. But we've been doing a
1: great job for the last month and a half.
0: <laughs> We're trying. At least we save it to the end now. You know, we do, we, we try that at least, but I guess we could talk more about the Mac Studio. It's just like you look at what's going to have long term impacts now. Last couple of years, it was COVID. We're still going to be dealing with that. But right now, the most immediate thing, it's going to be this conflict. It's going to change things.
1: You know, we should do it for one of the code loose, maybe. You guys should subscribe. We should do the, uh, the dream of the original tech revolution. Let's let's start in the '70s and do '70s, '80s, '90s.
0: I could see that. I'll rewatch Revolution OS too to like refresh myself.
1: And let's see where we landed because I have a feeling you and I are both going to need a stiff cocktail.
0: <laughs> you know, it's bad when you and I politically are like coming aligned as the show goes on. <laughs> it's not. It's not good. Yeah. Like, when it started, we were pretty far apart, (laughs) and as time has gone on, we're we're, we're starting to like, oh, crap, this is a problem. Both from different sides, but seeing the same problem. And so, yeah, I think that I'd love to watch it, just a good movie in general. And you can become a Coder member, support the show, and get access to the Coderly Report by going to coderqa.co, or you can get access to that by supporting all of the network shows at jupiter.party. You join the party, support the shows, and get access to all of the special features. And uh, we really appreciate it. Helps us be picky about who we work with from a sponsor standpoint, and uh, lets us take our time to make sure those things work out in a way that's beneficial for you and us. That's at CoderQA.co. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this week? Now that we got them all fired up,
1: <laughs> go to Alice.dev and inquire about some automation goodness.
0: Yeah, take take something off your plate for goodness' sake. Go to Alice.dev. You can follow the show at Coder Radio Show on the Twitters. We also have the feedback and general discussion on our Matrix. You can go find that at colony.jupiterbroadcasting.com if you got the element client or however you matrix. It's blowing up over there. Blowing up over there. Go participate. It's been a lot of fun. Links to some of the stuff we talked about today and a lot more are at coder.show slash 357. Over there, you're also going to find our RSS feed as well as our contact form. That is the nuts and bolts of the show. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Give us your take. You got something unique on a topic, a story, something going on in tech? Let us know. Coder.show slash contact. And last but not least, join us live on a Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. And thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week.